I'm not sure if the video captured this moment or not, but there was a probably one of the most emotional meetings I remember was the first meeting we had, and some of you guys might have to remember the date. I don't remember exactly when it was. The first meeting we were able to hold after Katrina, after everybody had been scattered, uh, there was no places to meet. We met in my house uh, out in Destrahan, and we had 150 people, I think, kids and all, crammed into the house and playing in the yard, and oh my, that was an emotional meeting. Just connecting and seeing everybody's faces and reconnecting again. Well, listen, uh, I want to draw our attention to finding this opportunity to give thanks. And I I wanted you guys to sit here in the middle because some of what we're going to walk through, I'm going to take us through some of the Psalm 23 this morning to venture back through with the shepherd how and where he has led us because you know we don't always do that we don't always get a chance to go back and see God fulfilled all the things that he has promised to us but one of the things I want us to take away from here because I titled the message 10 years ago and 10 years from now a story of faith and faithfulness and I not only want us to appreciate where we've come from and to give thanks to God But to also recognize you and I are here at this moment in our lives in a variety of ways, whether it's it's family dynamics, whether it's individual impact, whether it's being a part of a church, we are here in this moment because others before us followed the Lord as he led them. Now hang on to this because this is where I'm going to finish. Ten years from now, somebody's going to have been following us. 10 years from now and they're going to be looking back at a moment when we won't be able to fit everybody in the middle section at that point but we'll try uh, and revisit this but you guys will remember let me just recount following the lord through valleys and through mountains and terrain that was really challenging began with the disorienting strange months after hurricane katrina hit and what a what an unusual script to be living in in those moments where life as we knew it suddenly had come to a stop somebody pressed the pause button on everything i mean everything from electrical power to the economy of an entire city i just remember it was this was like a study of humanity what do you do when everything gets put on pause businesses incomes jobs relationships houses everything and and literally new orleans was like a a city like a deer in the headlights just staring into something going did this just happen was there water everywhere is that really a water line why are there x's on all those houses um it was it was quite something to live through and then at some point in our story we as a church and and as elders leaders that we were gathering together and praying and, and beginning to think about what do we do next a lot of our first few months were just consumed with caring for the family of God and trying to help folks who were dislocated and living in other places. Um, I remember teams of us who, while some of you guys still couldn't get back in town, we were, we were either breaking into your houses or finding your hidden keys and going and emptying out some of the most disgusting refrigerators you can ever imagine in your life. Uh, but just so that you wouldn't come home to something that smelled like dead bodies were in your home. <laughs> But that was the first few months. But at some point, we began to get educated on what would it mean for us to, as a church, rebuild. And soon, we were going to be confronted with something that looked like it was going to cost about $12 million to do. Now, you have to understand, leading up to that moment, as a church, the most money we had ever spent 
on building anything. Like some of us, you know, this building was, the old building was built in the 60s. I don't even think the old building cost as much as the renovation did. We did a renovation on the building in 2000 that cost us about $450,000. And we thought that was a lot of money. And that was just a few years earlier, right? So he did that in 2000. 2005, moving into 2006, we get educated that if you're going to rebuild something that will serve you now in the size that you are, it'll be about $12 million. So we were considering something that was like over 20 times more money than we had ever raised or spent on anything. And, and I am so conservative in these categories. This was like a nightmare for me to be thinking, we're really going to think about spending $12 million? This is crazy. And I, I remember, I remember laying in my bed at night. I remember telling my wife, I said, babe, if this goes south, oh my gosh. <laughs> you know, I'm just, I'm thinking about all the staff. You can remember, I'm thinking about all the staff. And I said, babe, I, I can't imagine staring across the table from Matt and his family. We're going to have to let you go. Or from Jeff. Or it's like, I, I, I just, what are we doing? This was intimidating. Right? Here, here's the numbers though for what God was doing. Isn't that a great picture? Remember the snow when it snowed here? Um, all right, $12 million project. And this is where those folks sitting behind me in the middle section here, $4.5 million of that would come from these people and those who were part of the church. Four and a half million dollars. Now, $3.7 million of that would be raised over about two and a half years before we got into the building. So from the moment that we managed to put some plans together in 2006 and begin to get some uh, awareness of how much funding it would take to rebuild a building, we began to raise funds. So from sometime in spring, late winter, spring of 2006 until moving in about two and a half years, the members of the church donated 3.7 million dollars and the, uh, the rest of that 4.5 comes from money that this again the, the existing church had been giving to save because we knew we were growing and we, we, we needed to address that at some point so we had some money in the bank that the church had given now these funds this this is not tithes this is beyond the tithe. This is $3.7 million in addition to the tithes that these folks were giving. That's a staggering amount of money. I mean, look, look at these people. There's, there's not a gazillion of them. We had about 300 or so family units in the church at that time. So don't you do the math on that. $3.7 million divided up by 300 families. That's a significant chunk of sacrifice and donation that we stand today having been the recipients of such sacrifice on your parts to see a day that years from now would include all the guys you watched in that story they're in the last 10 years they're the folks that God has touched and raised up and saved and comforted and cared for just in the last 10 years. We had some other funds that would come, a million and a half would come from, uh, about a million came from insurance, outside ministries, uh, Sovereign Grace I think dumped about $300,000 into the church uh, during that time. 200 of it came to the building, about 100 of it I think went into needs that were all throughout the, the church body and folks that were in need. Uh, there was a church in California that blessed us with a $100,000 offering from a church that we barely even knew back then. We ended up borrowing $5.6 million, and then today we owe $3.5 million on a $12 million project from 10 years ago. So what, what gracious gifting from God. Yes. Thank you, Lord. All right, let me, let me back us up through our, our story here so we can get a sense of, of thanking these guys who walked through a valley, a dark valley. You know, suddenly, August 21st, we met no idea, no idea what was just around the corner. Uh, there were probably about 600 plus people in that service. Uh, we used to do two services, smaller building, but we did two services in it. And we're exploring, you know, how do we answer the growth uh, that the Lord was giving us back then. 
uh, which was a strange answer, to reduce the size of the church significantly for the next few years. That was one way to do that. Um, but, you know, that gathering of folks would be scattered from Texas to California to the Carolinas and, and would just enter into a time where there was just a world of need. And so for us to even get together and meet again as a church, you know, it started off in my house. Uh, we moved to a little uh, church in, in Booty, Louisiana, and met there for a good while. Uh, then, you know, as folks were returning to the city uh, in our church over months, we would, we would have to go find another place and a bigger place. And we tried, kept getting closer and closer back in. We moved from Booty to Kenner. So we were in uh, Kenner, uh, First Baptist Church in, in Kenner for a good while. Uh, as a matter of fact, uh, Ken is here and was part of that during a meant thank you to your team of guys that were there years ago who opened your lives to us. I think Ken was being prophetic back then. He knew that we would hire his son-in-law one day. Uh, and so he would say, I better be nice to these people because I may need them in the future. But that, that's uh, Ronald's father-in-law and his wife are here with us today. Um, let's see, we went from... From there, we went, came back about a little closer in. We were in Metairie for a good season. And, and uh, First Assembly of God in Metairie opened their doors, let us meet there on Saturday mornings. You know, life was complicated back then. People were having to work all kinds of crazy hours. So a good chunk of the church was having to work on Saturdays. And we were doing our church service on Saturdays. So to serve them, then we moved half the church into a movie theater. So on Saturday mornings, we met in the church. Sunday mornings, we met in the movie theater and got quite distracted about halfway through my message as the popcorn began to pop. (laughs) Smells began to come into the building. I'm not sure any of y'all were listening at that point, but you were trying. They even started a movie on us once and just right in the middle of the message just all of a sudden this movie popped up on the screen behind us uh, let's see i think we we met we, we need to meet, meet at uh victory fellowship let us use their building for a service we used uh the the hotel at the foot of severn the big what, landmark hotel we, we used that for a season as well just for a, a christmas service you know, during this time, the, the church never lost sight of caring for other people. Uh, we had teams of folks who, in, in this dark valley of a life of questions and uncertainty, were part of teams that were going into people's homes and helping to gut their houses and help them to get reestablished. Sovereign Grace put together teams from all over the country that every week we had a different group of folks who would come partner with our folks locally and go into neighborhoods and go into homes of, of relatives and extended family members that were part of our lives. And we had a list of so-and-so's uncle and this person's grandparents and then could we come and help them and you know what's amazing about the church is while we were facing a 12 million dollar need you know do you know we spent a hundred and fourteen thousand dollars during that time frame helping people rebuild their homes just stepping into their need and providing everything from tools and resources and then sheetrock and materials and uh, that doesn't include obviously the labor etc and i remember I remember standing on this, in this little piece of road that just got freshly paved out in front of the church. You guys, did any of us think that was ever going to happen? <laughs> uh, I remember standing out there right during this season. And some of you guys, I'm just remembering some of the, the flashbacks of just amazing service. And just see Mark and Connie Udo who helped form an organization Liz Widener was part of helping them as well, that was helping people return. And it's just, this is what the church does, right? It finds its way into people's lives and makes a difference. And so through their leadership, there was an organization form that was helping people return home. Now, this organization became so effective that as tragedies have happened around the country, they have contacted Connie and Mark to give them insights. Floods in the Midwest. Could you come help us figure out how to recover? Surprised you haven't got calls from fires in, in California. Maybe you have. Um, you have. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, this is how God has used the, the, the members of the church to touch the world in all kinds of ways through this time. But for us to get back here, there was a moment I remember standing on that little street there 
with the then regional leader of Sovereign Grace uh, and, and looking at what it would take for us to be back in this location. And I remember him standing there and, and, and saying, dude, I don't know. This, this, he called it a multi-headed dragon. He said, for you to return here, it's a multi-headed dragon. Uh, there were 11 pieces of property, 12 actually, uh, that we would have to acquire that were owned by different people. It wasn't like we're going to go to one person and get one piece of property and fix this whole thing. We didn't have the property that we needed to do this. And so all those meetings, would, you'd have to have 11 people cooperate with you to sell you their property. And at a price that was going to be affordable, there was all kinds of challenges in the city at that time. Things getting permitted. What, what were the new codes going to be? What was going to be allowed? What was not going to be allowed? We knew we'd be approaching the city having to arrange a deal with the state. So state government was going to be involved with the facility across the street to create parking for our need. So state government, city government, local owners, and, and literally he just stared at that and said... I don't know, maybe you guys need to move. And so we did, we looked at locations to move. I mean, I would, late night, I'd be driving all over the place in the city through Kenner, looking at old warehouses. Could we convert that? Could we use that space right there? And eventually God just said, no, I I want you guys to, to move back here. And just God gave us that sense of, yes, we're to do this. And, and this mountain of $12 million stood. As you know, I felt like we just passed through a dark valley to arrive at a massive mountain uh, in our lives. But uh, you guys had faith to follow the Lord, the shepherd, into those places and all that it would mean to you, all the challenges that you would face in, in doing so, and all the investment that it would mean, sacrifice for you to do that. I thought as, as, as I recalled these events, I thought, Lord, this, this is a geography lesson. You know, God uses geography to teach things in scripture. Right? There's a lot about valleys. There's a lot about mountains in there. So let me just walk us through some thoughts here in, in scripture. Psalm 23, verse 4, we used that in, in the video says, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. And you know, in that context, this, this starts off describing the Lord who is our shepherd. He makes us lie down in green pastures. He leads us beside still waters. He leads us in paths of righteousness. So the Lord is one who leads. But somehow in his leading, you can land in a valley that feels dark, menacing, threatening, uncertain, etc. Love this thought from John Piper about those valleys. He says, do God's sheep ever lack anything? We don't have to go outside the psalm to know they do. When the sheep is walking through the dark valley, it lacks light. And I presume it lacks the green pasture and the quiet waters. This is confirmed for me when I ponder verse 4 about walking through the valley of the shadow of death. The picture here is of a situation with extreme danger that could take the sheep's life. If the shepherd weren't there to protect and guide with with his rod and his staff... Why would a sheep be going through such a place? Not because he's strayed off in sin. That's not the point here. Because the shepherd is pictured as going with the sheep. Not snatching him back to the pasture he left behind. No, the reason the sheep is going through the valley is because the shepherd is leading it. The path through the valley is also one of the paths of righteousness in which God leads but why would a shepherd lead a sheep into a valley filled with danger and death threats isn't the only possible answer to get to some better place god has seen to it that the grazing pastures for his flocks are not fence to fence but are separated by often very treacherous territory so you know here's the interesting image that i have Sitting here today, there were these green pastures that existed in our life together as a church. Early 2000s up to 2005, green pastures. Just God was doing wonderful, incredible things uh, among us. And then Katrina hits 
And then this dark valley filled with all kinds of questions and direction and uncertainties and personal struggles and issues. And then 2008 opens up to another green pasture where God today is allowing us to enjoy and benefit and be blessed in the green pastures that he's led us into. But, but life lesson here, because this is not the last time some of us are going to be called to follow the Lord through valleys that are dark and difficult. Um, sitting here for us is a group of folks who got to this green pasture and its edge and stared into a dark valley and followed. You guys followed. And it was your following that has now allowed us to find the next green pasture that God had for us to enjoy and to benefit from and to be refreshed and fed in as he has. So thank you again. Listen, I want this verse to describe how we appreciate you. Psalm 84 verse 5 through 7 says this, blessed are those whose strength is in you and whose hearts are the highways to Zion as they go through the valley of Baca, which was, Baca means weeping, a valley of weeping. They make it a place of springs. The early rain also covers it with pools. They go from strength to strength. Each one appears before God in Zion. Listen, listen, this is true. This is true for us today who look back to a people in in 2005 to 2008 traveled through this this valley of life, this dark place, valleys of weeping. There were a lot of tears being shed during those years of the difficulties that were faced. But you know, this isn't just true for us who are today in this green pasture looking back for those who helped us to get here. Uh, this, this is going to be true of young people as it pertains to your parents, generations that have gone before us in the faith, that there are people who have followed Christ through valleys so that you and I could dwell in some of the green pastures that we walk in right now. Uh, that should be part, matter of fact, as you think about that this week for Thanksgiving, ponder, Lord, who is it in my life? who has gone before me, who has traveled through some dark places, some valleys of tears, but they followed you into the green pastures that I now live in. Listen, some, some of you guys, especially those of you who have parents who at some point they weren't saved and they've got interesting stories to tell about their lives. You know who I'm talking about? They followed Christ in such a way that you don't, you don't know what it is but to live in a green pasture. Listen, some of us who remember what we were like when we were unsaved, we had quite the power and the ability to totally wreck our families. I mean, if I had not gotten saved, I'm scared to think what I would have done to people for the rest of my life if God didn't save me as a teenager. So you've got people in your life that have traveled through these darkened valleys. God has brought you into green pastures through their lives. Think about that this week as you give thanks and, and remember them. But here's what I love about these folks. This passage says, those whose strength is in you and in whose heart are highways to Zion. Right? People who, they draw their strength from God. Their life is about God. Their life is lived for God. They are obsessed in the right way with a passion for the glory of God. That's what they live their lives for. There's a desire. You know, Zion is the the city of God, the dwelling place of God. And into this group was a heart that was set toward God's purpose on this earth. God's purpose through his church in the midst of everything that you had going on in your lives. It wouldn't have been nice if the only thing you had to worry about from 2005 to 2008 was how to rebuild a church. That wasn't your story, was it? I mean, you remember? I mean, I'm looking at Stu. I'm looking at, I remember these chapters of uncertainty and what's my business going to do? Who's going to close up? Those of you guys who own businesses and how would you survive an economy that just got turned off and there's no business to be had for months 
and you lived month to month with your business and you got nothing coming in. How, how's that going to work? And then you had your own homes that needed to be repaired and you had all the headaches of dealing with contractors who were ripping people off and the difficulties of finding one if you could find one that would do any work and caring for your own extended families. All of a sudden, everybody in your life was itching. It's like we all got dipped in fiberglass overnight. Everybody's itching. So you got your, your parents and your grandparents and your aunts and uncles who their home is a mess and they need some place to stay and they need somebody to come and help them and you're taking that up as well. All that was happening. And then the normal stuff of life was happening too. People were still, people were still dying. We were still doing funerals. You still had tragic losses and health problems for people that you cared for. All that is going on But yet, you were a people with with Zion in your hearts. You were eager to build the kingdom of God, to sacrifice for it, to be a part of it, to show up at meetings, to be a part of reaching out into the community and serving on care teams. How do we say thank you for your example and for the way you lived your lives to provoke and to give us an example? Listen, you guys are Psalm 84. You found your strength in God. And you had Zion set in your hearts in such a way that even with all that noise, you lived a life to build the kingdom of God. So 10 years later, we we are living 10 years later in the good of your following Christ through those years. Let me talk about a mountain for a second here. Mountains are problems in scripture. They're, They're high places, but they're also difficulties. Isaiah 40 says... The Lord has this kind of power. At every valley, he says, shall be lifted up, and every mountain and hill be made low. The uneven ground shall become level, and the rough places a plain. This is is how the supernatural God invades our world. So there are these natural dimensions to our lives that God comes and says, you know, there's going to be valleys. You're going to have valleys in your life. There's going to be mountains. But but I'm the God who does this to your terrain. I pull valleys into a place that you can pass through and, and I make mountains something you can pass over. And listen, that's an awesome verse. We need to hang on to that verse. But, but in the day-to-day of life, that's a little hard to remember, isn't it? Because when you're doing daily life, and right now you guys are doing daily life, valleys feel like dark, menacing, scary valleys. Mountains look like immovable, never going to be different. That thing will always be that way places. And that's where I, I, want, I, I want this building to step into that conversation. Right? This is a building that is speaking to us. This, this building speaks. Right? When the Bible describes in Psalm 19, it says the heavens are telling of the glory of God. It says night after night, they pour forth speech. Words are not heard though, it says. So if you stare into the heavens and just wait, you'll begin to sense those heavenly places speaking back to you. The expanse, the beauty, the infiniteness, the creation. Your, your heart begins to hear a message of this God who has made all these things. They, they stand and they make a speech to you. And this building stands and it makes a, a speech to you. Every, every time you drive up on this property, because... 10 years ago, 13 years ago, when this all kind of broke out for us, what sat at the corner of Florida Lee and Veterans Highway was a mountain, a mountain of impossibility, a $12 million mountain of impossibility with all the challenges that we didn't have answers for and we didn't know how to proceed with. But what stands here today is a monument of a God who's bigger than those things in our lives. What stands in this room, we did this on purpose, is is a line, that line across the back of the building right there. That little thick faux line that you see is a watermark. That's how deep the water, if you stood up 
in the old building, that would have been the water level that you would have been standing in had you been in the building when Katrina's floodwaters were in our building. Right? We, we put that there on purpose as a reminder of the valley that we passed through, one that was dark and threatening. So, so listen, you and I are going to go do life this week, this year, coming next year. And you're going to face moments in your health, moments in your relationships, moments with wayward children, moments with your emotions that feel like dark valleys. I, I, I want you to remember, I want you, every time you walk in this building, whenever it is, Sunday mornings, and you see that line, it stands as a monument. It stands as God's proclamation that God leads us through valleys. And they stand as monuments of the faithfulness of God who takes us through those places. Right? When you pull up onto the property and you, you see here something that looked like it, it couldn't get done, it was impossible to afford, much less get everybody that was going to need to cooperate with this thing to cooperate, well, you stand and you look at a mountain. You look at a situation that seemed immovable. And, and you've got those situations in your life. You've got habits in your personal life that you struggle with that seem like mountains. They've just been there. They feel impossible. That's never going to change. You've got struggles, maybe relational struggles, marital struggles that feel like a mountain. I just don't see this ever being different. God does stuff that we need to look back on. And learn something from it. We, we need this monument. Right? Do, we're not glorying today in bricks and mortar. Steel and building materials. And you guys know that when none of us are here, this is not God's house. This is not the dwelling place of God. That doesn't happen until God's people show up. Then it becomes a place that God is dwelling among us. But it, it is a... A landmark in our lives. It is a monument that says something about the places that we have traveled through together. So much more than just building space, there's a story behind who God has been to us. I remember, I mean, our church responded so incredibly well in faith to what we were walking through. But it would be easy to say, God, what are you doing? What are you doing? That church was doing really well in 2005. I mean, there was a lot of really exciting stuff going on. People's lives being affected and the gospel being preached. Scott, what, what are you doing in those moments when life suddenly looks like this is a giant setback? This, this, is, this is a detour. What happened to the path that we were walking? This, this can't be a path of righteousness. This has got to be like a detour. Who knows where it goes? Well, hear this passage. This is what God's always doing. Ephesians chapter 1 verse 11 says, In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. All things. These are those verses you don't want to lose track of them. You're going to need them. God works all all things according to the counsel of his will. Um, I always used to tell people, you know, Katrina was a script I never would have written to get us to a place that we, that we needed to be. Early 2000s, approaching 2005, green pastors have no idea when these green pastures come to an end and all of a sudden it narrows and we follow the shepherd through a dark valley. But in the 2005 we were asking the question as elders and leaders in the church, uh, you know, what do we do next? What, what's our next step? Because we're getting a little crammed into this building. We were doing two services. We were outgrowing what we had. And any consideration just seemed like no consideration. There, there was nothing that was workable. This, you know, this is the Lakeview area of New Orleans. You don't buy property here. You, you'd go broke. We go broke paying for the parking lot. I mean, the amount, we, so we started to approach some neighbors, uh, you know, would you, would you sell your property to us? And 
Um, people, they just didn't want to sell. And then the ones that, that said, well, I might think about it, just wanted the most ridiculous amount of money for their property. So we had started to look into, you know, what do we, what do, we do next to serve our, our church? And there just wasn't a clear way forward. And I remember, this is strange that I remember little bits of things like this. I remember in the, somewhere in the early 2000s, I can't remember the exact year, but it was well prior to 2005. In the old building, sometimes I would, during the day, I, I just, you know, we, we had a, a house next door to the church that our offices were in. I would go next door and just get alone, find some time to pray. And I remember a specific time. It was like the Holy Spirit fell in that moment. That's why I remember it was peculiar. That just, wow, the presence of God. I was walking back and forth in the upstairs hallway in the old building, in the education part of the building. And just back and forth, back and I don't know what we were going through in that time that would have prompted me to be praying this guy. But I'm back and forth, and I remember I'm facing in this direction, and just like God just awakened something in me to begin to pray that God would give us all the property from right here all the way to Florida Lee. And I just remember that moment just praying, and that was like nuts. It's like God. God, give us all the way to Florida Lee. I just remember having, I probably did that too, right? I'm all by myself, just yelling. <laughs> and I just remember, it was this strange thing in me. To, you know, I mean, you guys, most of you guys, you know my personality. That's kind of not me. Uh, but just this aggressive, yes, God, give us all that. I had no idea what I was praying. <laughs> And I think, you know, and you guys will hear some of this if you come to the, uh, the prayer workshop. I think there's an economy within God that he designs prayer in such a way that he awaits people praying certain things before he does what he's going to do in his kingdom. He looks for intercessors. The Bible's clear on that. So I, I, I think God just made me, sort of made me pray that. Just saying, somebody needs to ask for this. Hey, hey, you walking back and forth in the hallway. Why don't you scream out for that property over there real quick so I can get about doing this. Uh, and sure enough, obviously, right, we're, we're standing today. And if you look from here all the way to Florida Lee, we own all the property from here to Florida Lee. Yeah. So... Let me just, just finish by saying this. This is, this, you know, Psalm 23 is this incredible song about God leading us. Eric, you can, you can come back up. About God leading us. And we know this psalm. Sometimes to appreciate the nuances of that psalm, you need to stop and look back. Because I know we need that psalm. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. I I, I need that for what's going on around me right here and what what I'm about to face and walk through that's ahead of me. But that begins to make sense to me when I look back over who God has been. and And I realize God has been working everything after the counsel of his will. So as we as a church travel to the end of 2005 into this darkened valley, you know, for, for us, this looks like an unpredictable moment. This looks like, oh my gosh, what do we do now? But in the counsel of God, how many of you guys recognize God didn't get to this moment with us and go, oh my gosh, what are we going to do now? <laughs> God was working everything after the counsel of his will. So when a church turns around and buys up a neighborhood, you understand, we, we would still be going broke today. Had we tried to do that before Katrina. Afterwards, and this is the mercy of God. Afterwards, everybody in our neighborhood, they got road home money, they got insurance money, and they were willing to take whatever from us. They'd have never been willing to take whatever from us before that. And I think we'd have felt bad about doing that to anybody. But God made them whole. And open the door for us as well. Could, could anybody have ever written that script? That's pretty amazing. And so here's, here's the other part of my title. Ten years ago and ten years from now. God is always in the midst of telling stories that require faith from those who follow. 
and tell the story of his faithfulness to us. I mean, you guys recognize, wow, 10 years ago, that went by really, really fast. Think about your life 10 years ago. Let me, let me experiment with your life for a second. I mean, 10 years ago, 10 years ago, my wife and I were the only people with driver's licenses in my house. <laughs> now there are six cars in my driveway <laughs> and five children in college. Ten years, man, I'm telling you, it's scary what ten years can do, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, well, here, let me do this with you. If ten years ago, you're, you're married now, but you were not married ten years ago, stand up. You're married now, but you were not married ten years ago. Okay, everybody's doing it. You need to stand up. Everybody who's in this category, stand up. That's a significant number of folks among us, isn't it? Life a little different now than it was 10 years ago? (laughs) Congratulations, by the way, on surviving 10 years of marriage. Yeah. I don't know if you noticed in one of the videos we were gathered for prayer. We would gather for prayer out in front of the property here. Um, You may have saw... A very young man standing in that prayer gathering. His name was Evan May. He was 19 years old. That was 10 years ago. Right, listen, young people that are here, 10 years goes by awful quick. And you're going you're gonna to walk through some stuff. Right? You're on your way somewhere. You're following the Lord. And other people are going to be impacted by the life that you live along the way. So some of you are going to be married in the next 10 years. You, you might, not, might want to live your life in light of that. Some of you late teenagers, early 20s. I mean, Evan is one of the most influential people in this church. Yeah, we are very grateful for that. Ten years ago, he was a guy who looked like he was 12 with a lot of hair. (laughs) Ten years from now. I'm missing a bunch of the elders this morning, but let me ask the elders to stand up. Unfortunately, uh, Phil is in, is in Alaska visiting his family for Thanksgiving. Frank is in Baton Rouge speaking at a church. And, and Bill and Nancy weren't able to make it this morning. Nancy has had some health issues. Be, be praying for her this morning. All right, 10 years from now. Where's Steve at? Oh, there he is. 10 years from now. Bill will be 86 years old 10 years from now. 10 years from now, Peter will be 85 years old. Gene will be 39. Still looking marvelous, I'm sure. Phil will be 77 years old. Steve and Frank will be 72 years old. I'll be 64 years old. Evan will still look like he's 12. (laughs) That's just 10 years from now. That's just 10 years from now. All right, so you can imagine having said that, if you're in your 30s and your 40s and you love this church, You're going to live a life over the next 10 years that at some point these men are going to be turning and passing the baton to you in the next 10 years. 
So listen, we're called to live a life of faith so that God will show himself to be faithful among us. Ten years from now, it's going to come awful quick. Ten years from now, we will have a reference point together again. Of, hey, yeah, I was, I was there ten years ago. And God will have added all kinds of stories like you saw. Everybody you saw in that video was telling a story from the last 10 years. Those stories weren't stories from long ago. That's the stuff that's gone on in their lives in the last 10 years. And what I loved, and it's really hard to do that, which by the way, can we thank Eric for an incredible amount of hours to put that together for us. those stories were people who have found Christ in the last 10 years because of what you have been building and following the Lord. Some who found shelter in some of the darkest, most difficult moments of their lives. They found a family to belong to. They found people to care for them, to reach into their world, into the difficult times and tears that were being shed. Guys who lived among us and ministered to you, who learned to care for God's people, who are now creating green pastures in other parts of the world, that you and I got to walk with them. We got to be a part of their lives, and now that's being spread elsewhere. Ten years from now, there's going to be other Matts and Jeffs and Jasons and guys who have gone into places that, that we have partnered with them to send. So listen, let let us, as we look back in thanksgiving, let us be postured to follow the Lord in faith and to see his faithfulness in the next 10 years. Amen? Let's stand up together. What are you doing? This is not part of the program. One more note here. If we can figure out the technology. Ten years hasn't made that any better yet. <laughs> As Pastor Keith said, ten years ago, uh, I, was, I was folding bulletins around here. I wasn't meeting with city officials or making neighbors an offer they couldn't refuse and buying up their property. Um, but I get, to, I get to pastor in green pastures because of your leadership and yours and the elders here. So thank you for sleepless nights during that season. Thank you for walking that old building and shouting at God. Thank you for leadership and faith to do this. I just cannot imagine what that has meant, the burden, the faith required. Thank you. Thank you. Let's sing. As long as I have breath, I will praise you. As long as my heart stops singing. As long as life flows through my veins, I will bless your name. Sing that again. As long as I have breath, I will praise you. As long as my heart I will sing as long as life flows through my veins. I will bless your name. How do I thank you? How do I thank you, O Lord, for taking my place on the
As long as my heart beats, I will sing. As long as life flows through my veins, I will bless your name. How do I thank you? How do I thank you, oh Lord, for all of the love in your eyes? How do I As long as my heart beats, I will sing. As long as life flows through my veins, I will bless your name. As long as, long as I have breath, I will praise you. As long as my heart beats, I will sing. As long as life flows through my veins, I will bless your as long as long as I have breath, I will praise you. As long as my heart beats, I will sing. As long as life flows through my veins, I will bless your I will bless I will bless your name. I will bless. I will bless your name. Or receive our praise. Lord, we don't honor ourselves this morning. Lord, we don't want to honor our... We don't want to, we don't want to mishonor our own faithfulness. Lord, though we have a church filled with people who have been faithful, Lord, to build this place for your glory, Lord. And if it were not for that peace, it'd be worthless. <laughs> Lord, our faithfulness would be worthless if it would not be attached to your glory, Lord. And so... Lord, receive the faithfulness, the obedience, the sacrifice. Lord, all that we have done as a church here in New Orleans over these last 10 years. Lord, receive it as praise to your glory, Lord, and to your faithfulness. A reflection of your faithfulness to us, God, in the gospel, in your son, Jesus. Lord, and we look forward to these coming years. Lord, would you help us to live, like Keith said, in light of them. Lord, live in light of what we've seen of your faithfulness in the past ten, Lord. Would these next ten be marked by the same kind of sacrifice, the same kind of obedience, the same kind of passion, the same kind of gratefulness for the gospel? Lord, would we lay our lives down for you, Lord? And we pray for your glory so that this city... Lord, and the people that have yet to come into this building, Lord, those people would know your glory, would give their lives to you. We love you, God. In your name we pray. Amen.